Rooted in Revenue with your host today, Susan Finch. And this is kind of a crossover episode because I want to introduce you to Michelle Kramer and her wonderful charity on Angel's Wings. And if you're a company saying, how do we incorporate giving and strategic volunteering into our overall plan for employee satisfaction, for retention, for making a difference and using, you know, our powers to do good for the world. So Michelle, after all that, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. (laughs) Cool. So give us a little bit of background. First, what On Angel's Wings is, but what led you to start it? So um, On Angel's Wings uh, seeks to improve the mental health and well-being for families that have medically fragile children. We don't have any parameters, race, ethnicity, class status, orientation, none of that. It's just if your child is sick, we are there. So we provide that through free therapeutic photography and grief recovery services. I want to shift gears here for a minute, Michelle. I want to get into the piece of HR. Okay. And helping HR support their teams and their, you know, the staff at a group, no matter how big, from small businesses to enterprise level, how many of them do you think have somebody in place, some kind of counseling in place, some kind of support in place for when somebody goes through the grieving process? And I have personal experience. I, The last company I worked for, a very small company, I had two miscarriages. And they happened, you know, kind of early. But it was devastating because I did not have a child yet. And, and I hate to say that it was easier for me. I had two after Savannah, too, before Austin. But... After one of them, because it was so early, the question came up, were you even pregnant? I went, what? He wasn't trying to be insensitive. Was it right. really, but just didn't, it's like, that was weird. To him, it's just weird because he'd never seen that before because nobody talks about how common miscarriages are. Right, right. And, you know, for somebody that knows that she's pregnant the next day, <laughs> I knew. Yeah. And so it was a very strange thing. But I look at a lot of teams, it's like, hey, when somebody dies, yes, they have somebody. They have family met, you know, leave for different things. But the grieving after it's done and how long that can hold on, what are your hopes for that? Well, I think it comes out of the fact that watching the families that we've served, I mean, when you have a job and you have a loss, you spend most of your time at that job. So if you don't have a safe place, a safe way to allow your grief to be part of every part of your life, um, then it can be detrimental to your mental health and it can be detrimental to your financial health because mm-hmm. you lose your job. So it really, I'm going to backtrack a little bit to kind of explain where it came from. Right. I actually, I wrote a book It's called Unshattered Grief. It took me five years to write it, but I started writing it out of just watching these families that I serve, the things that people say to them and do to try and help fix their grief, it just, it blows my mind. But there's societal norms that we've established, saying things like it will get better with time, saying things like at least you can have more children, or, you know, just telling somebody that they need to be strong in their grief, or, you know, I mean, there's just, So many things that we do, and this has a lot to do too with my, I kind of like started realizing these things early, but then in 2020, I got certified as a grief recovery method specialist. 
And the grief recovery method addresses these things point blank, like the myths that have to do with yes. grief. And I feel like we as a society are still in like the westward movement in the United States was so traumatic as a culture that, you know, it was like death after death after death. We have to just push on. If we don't push on, we won't survive. You know, right. we'll be the next one to die. And I honestly feel like we have generationally brought that through Definitely. to where we're in survival mode, but we aren't trying to survive anything as a culture. I mean, the pandemic may have been that situation. Very insightful. Yes. Yeah, But it just feels like I don't feel like it's intentional. I just feel like it's just a generational pull yes. from that mentality of being in survival mode. You must push forward. You must move on is really the way that I always say you move forward because moving on means that you're trying to forget and you're trying to pretend like it's not there. And I always mention that grief doesn't get easier with time. They're just they're longer pieces of time between when the grief hits. Because when it does, it's still just as powerful as it mm -hmm. was the first time it hit. You just learn to find capacity for joy in between more as time moves on. So with all of those things in mind, when I look at, there was this clear transition to me after writing this book of that work piece, where when you look at the places that people are employed, I hear over and over and over again, I got three days off after my son died. I got, or, you know, you get that immediate family bereavement time. Well, I don't know about you, but if my best friend died, there's no way I can go back to work after a couple of days. We lose this element of there's still really important and impactful things that happen to people. And then we're just expected again, culturally to just get busy again. Right. So then one story stands out to me. A gentleman that I'm connected through my network with, he worked for a large company here in town. He was working 60, 70 hours a week because he'd work on the weekends and it wasn't a requirement, but it was kind of encouraged to work on the weekends too, to help keep things moving. And, you know, you've got overtime pay. And so he's like, I'm in it. And so he would do that regularly. Well, then his father unexpectedly died and he lived out of state. So he took the time to go do all of the things and he came back to work after the requisite few days off, but he stopped working those optional weekends because he just didn't, he wanted to spend time, more time with his family, obviously yeah. the things that we Changes. think about. Yeah. Yes. And about three months in, he got called into a conference with managerial staff and they said, your numbers are slacking. You're taking a pay cut. And he said, what do you mean my numbers are slacking? He knew his numbers weren't. He asked to see them. And he said, after I finally like pushed for an answer, they said, well, you're not working weekends anymore. And so your job is going to reflect that because you're just not as motivated. And this is an organization that has grief counselors on staff and free, three free sessions of therapy. And, you know, we're doing all the things. But yet they had these same expectations for him as before his father died and just didn't even acknowledge that his life had completely dramatically changed. And so it's those kind of things that I'm just like, we're not training managerial staff on how to deal with a grieving employee. We're not training employees on how to deal with a grieving coworker, like the things that you should be saying, the things that you shouldn't you should be not saying. be saying. Yeah. You know, you don't, 
I, I have another story of a mama who lost her son at birth and was telling her boss that her doctor said there were things that could have been done to save him that weren't. And he's oh. like, you're just, you're just a grieving mother. You don't even understand what it's like to actually lose a child to medical negligence. What? So like these things come out of people's mouths and because, you know, they're managers, they can just, you know, say things. I just, it, it blows my mind. Plus you look at bereavement time off policies and you've got such a vast range and a lot of times it's written in there that you get a few days off, but then there's flexibility and one guy gets one thing and another guy gets another thing and there's no consistency. And how do you set those parameters? And I've gotten to this place where I'm just, okay, this is the place that grieving individuals are spending most of their time and we are failing miserably at serving them. I've got another mom who is a recipient, lost her baby, was a teacher. Her coworkers knew, everybody knew. And they kind of explained it to her kids when she came back. And so the kids were really gentle with her and everything was fine. She said, once I returned, there was no conversation whatsoever with anyone about expectations. So I just had to fake it and be full capacity after losing my child, because that's what I figured was expected of me. So there's not even a conversation of what are you capable of doing? How can we serve you? We got another mom who after losing her son everybody was crazy supportive and wonderful but she came back to work you know three weeks later and nobody had done anything to help her so she persistently stayed three weeks behind and could never catch up because her workload piled up so high and no one would help her she's like i literally quit the job because i felt like i would never measure up anymore because i could never catch up and no one would help me i just i sorry i am very passionate about this clearly yes. um we're just failing in a major major area the really difficult part here is that is just bringing this to the attention of hr departments and businesses to where they feel it's important enough to address and that's where i'm finding it difficult to even get in the door because well it's not a big deal we've got a policy it's fine and they just really aren't seeing. So, I mean, like, that's why I was so grateful for the fact that you wanted to talk to me because anything I can do to just like, at least somebody listening to this might go, huh, maybe we're not seeing it all. Maybe we really need to reevaluate this. Like if one person does that, I'm going to feel so much better. I want to get in there and I want to do the grief recovery training and train these managerial staff, especially on how to handle um, someone that's grieving without it being there's this balance of handling them, but not babying them and letting them just get away with right. doing nothing. Right. You've got to find that, that just because you still have to function as a company. Yeah, absolutely. So it, recognizing when does it, okay, they're going to have to go or we need to make some accommodations that will allow them to do their job in their full capacity. It's just really trying to figure that out. So I'm an advocate for change. You brought it up too, the filling in the gap. It's knowing the questions to ask when somebody's about to go through something. Right. When it's been a loss or a sudden loss and you're the only kid that is actually going to go handle the estate and have to take that on as a part-time job where you yeah. have the other parent that's left that has dementia. What are you going to do with them now? Because before dad was taking care of her. Now, what do you do? Right. And that's a whole different thing. So learning how to without judgment, have that conversation with the person going through this, about to go through this, 
lay it out for me. Right. What are you afraid of? What are your biggest concerns? What are the pieces that you need us to help pick up here? Absolutely. Until you can get back full time. But those are conversations that it just needs to be part of the processes in place, whether it's HR, whether it's a small company and it's the the owner of the company and their top salesperson is about to have this happen. Wow. What do we do with all those deals? Yeah. And there is no easing out of it because they're just going to be gone. They might right. be able to take your phone calls, answer some questions, but they're gone for a yeah. little bit. And when they come back, they're going to be spotty depending on what it is. And they're going to get more personal phone calls and they're going to have more things happening for a little while. And then you're left with the emotional piece of it after that, that is ongoing. I have friends and I try and remember to write down when their child or their parent died because it still hits them so hard. It's like, oh, that's gonna be a bad day for them. Yes. That's a really rough day. I still remember the day both my parents died. And it's been like, my dad was 89. And I still think of him. And and the only thing that gets me through it is saying, well, if he was still here, he'd be like icky looking and he'd be so old. <laughs> he'd be like 110 and that just wouldn't be great. And so that's the only thing that kind of shakes me out of it. And thinking of some memories and things and that I didn't have nearly enough with him. And with my mom, I still want to pick up the phone. And that was, you know, that was 2004. Yeah. And I still miss her. And, you know, my daughter still talks about barely knowing grandma and my son never got to meet her. And they're all those pieces and grieving pets. That's a whole nother area that I can't even bring into this at this point. Yeah, we actually, the, the grief recovery method has a whole book on pet loss because people and their position on it is that we, as a society, just completely downplay it and even as children, that's probably our first loss as a child or first big trauma. And we carry that for so long and we get so, we have 11 animals in my house. So we have lots of pets. We get so attached to these little fur babies and these, I have lizards too, you know, like we just, that's the thing is just any one person's grief is their own. And we try and measure it for some odd reason. And a loss is a loss. It's inconvenient and it's uncomfortable. And oh, that's yeah. why we, that's... that's why we try and measure it because it's easier for us yep. to discount it, to try and make it go away faster for them because it's terribly inconvenient for us. We are as a culture, culture uncomfortable with vulnerability. Yes. And that's another element to that HR piece is that managerial doesn't get comfortable in that vulnerable place of saying, how are you feeling? What do you need? And that's why we say the things that we say to someone that is grieving, because we don't know how to deal with this uncomfortable space when the reality is all they need is for you to literally say, I don't know how to deal with this for you. I don't know what to say, but I'm here. Like that is the best thing that you can do for someone that's grieving. And everybody just avoids saying the truth of, I don't know, I got nothing, but I'm here for you. That's I've learned there was a podcast I used to produce called the blink of an eye. And it's Louise Fipsemp telling the journey of her son, Archer, who dove in the water, became a quadriplegic. And that's all it took. But the grieving process that she is still going through, this is many years later. And she she will always go through, her whole family will always go through it, but it hits everybody in a different way. But I learned from her the things to not say, to not ask. Don't ask questions. Got any updates? Like, what a ghoul. How about you just say, if there's anything you need, anything, I'm here. Yeah. I'm thinking of you. End of it. No questions. Yep. 
but to or just show up. That's another show big one. Up. Show yeah, up, you know, take care of the food, go got, mow their lawn, do something so they don't have to think about it. And they can't think to ask you to do it either. It's like, what do you right. need me to do? I don't know. I yeah, don't know what yeah, I that, need to do. That um, I'm here if you need me element. People don't realize that that alone is putting, that's putting the burden of reaching out on the person that's grieving. But if you say, what do you need? You've committed, you're in. Right, right. And you're just saying, what can I do? And if they're like, I have no idea, which nine times out of 10, they can't even wrap their hand or head around taking a shower, let alone, what do I need to do today? If you have the space, if you have that relationship with them where you can just walk into their house, then come on over and do some laundry. I mean, just do yep. something. <laughs> come, Yeah, do something. I have friends that are going through bone marrow transplant and whether he's gonna make it or not, we don't know. And whether his body will accept this, and the gift I give her is making her just laugh. And so I said, you know, hey, what can I handle for you today? How about um, I bring you a treat at the hospital or some games or strippers? <laughs> That's all she needed. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> she says, let me think on the third one. It got her, it shook her up and it got her laughing. That's beautiful. Her, I love it. I love her. it. <laughs> And I'm dead, you know, if that's what she wanted, well, I'd have to follow through, but. I mean, I was joking, but okay. <laughs> if I will do whatever it takes to make you be okay. <laughs> that's awesome, that's fantastic. <laughs> so I can't say that, you know, companies can offer strippers and things to help right. grieving no. people, but that, that's not the point. It's, <laughs> it's helping them get, be aware of what they probably need that we are afraid to ask, talk about, address. Yeah. yeah no matter how inconvenient it is for us, we need to do this to bring comfort. Michelle Kramer, I appreciate your time, your vulnerability in telling me these stories. And how about we try and make a difference and try and get this going. Michelle Kramer is the CEO, president, founder of On Angel's Wings. It's a photography studio, unlike anything you've ever heard of, and an army of photographers changing the lives of families that need that support, that need somebody capturing the beautiful moments for as long as they have their children, their family member, so that they have something to reflect on that's like, I remember that moment, because we remember the photos. And very few people take pictures of the bad moments. If you do, you're a sick person, but and your kids will hate you for it. But when you capture those beautiful moments, that's what we remember when we look back. And that's what you and your very compassionate, amazing photographers are doing in your state. And I can't wait to continue to watch you grow, but I can't wait to hear you build this grief process piece for companies to help come up with some kind of training for them to be able to incorporate and add. Everybody has team members that go through grief. Absolutely. And grief isn't just death. Grief is divorce. Grief is a child running away. Grief is a traumatic accident. Grief can be many, many things. And we need to get ready to ask those conversations rather than just saying, move on, move through, get done. Because yep. it's in, in our way. Yep. Absolutely. Michelle, how can they find you? On Angel's Wings is at oawphoto.org. And I'm usually michelle.kramer on all of the things facebook instagram tiktok linkedin 
Yes, I'm on LinkedIn as well. That's good because a lot of our people, that's where they are. Yep, that's right. <laughs> and if you're looking for something to align yourselves with, if, or if you're looking for more ways to add compassion and retention to your team, this might be a good place to start. Yeah, that retention element is really important because it's the support on that personal side that's going to keep your employees wanting to stay. Thank you so much. Never miss an episode. Check out rootedinrevenue.com and subscribe on the site to get weekly updates of when new episodes come out. Or find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio. So go subscribe. We'll get you all the information you need to do your best with marketing and your online presence.